Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) The weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats of myths and legends from the good, bad, and ugly world of music. You got it. I did it. (laughs) You did it. I did it. And with your two drunk hosts, I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And we are continuing our Metal Mania Month. <laughs> Excellent. That's that was perfect. Good. That Thank was you. so good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Proud of you. <laughs> we are continuing with the one and only Metallica. Woo! <laughs> That was, that was probably so really fun. loud. No, it's fine. I'll take. I'll edit. It, I'll edit it down. It's fine. It's fine. This is fine. It's fine. Um, and this week we are pairing this lovely episode with a lovely bottle of Allagash Black. And if you don't know, it's black because there's a black album and there's fade uh-huh. to black and there's uh-huh. blackened. Uh-huh. There's a lot of black in Metallica. Uh huh. So it works. <laughs> Fuck you. On multiple levels. Come for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, it has not come for me time yet. I jumped the gun. <laughs> we are not that drunk yet. No, but not we haven't drunk. we have done been drinking, but um this is a fucking biggin, kids. It's another two parter. It might be a little long. If it runs a little long, I'm sorry. Um But it's still gonna be a fun story. Oh. Oh, it's a fucking story. I mean, we it's start, a story. We we start out with Dave Poodle Hair Mustaine and uh Get into Lars' bullshit, bullshit sandwich, Ulrich. Oh, and you'll know why we call them that shortly. I'm sure. Well, Dave Poodlehead Mustaine is like pretty obvious. That's pretty obvious because yeah. he has a gorgeous mane of poodle hair. He really does, though. It's golden and beautiful. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you, Dave. Well, I mean, if the, if you got anything left for you, I mean, it's that fucking head of hair. He's fine. It's fine. he's fine now. And I'll get I think. and I'll get to that. <laughs> We'll get there. I can't wait. So Metallica, one of the biggest heavy metal bands of all time. It's a name everyone knows. They are both famous and infamous. And a band I will unabashedly say got me into metal. I enjoyed heavily as a teen and I still enjoy today. Your Metallica is to you as Nirvana is to me. Probably. I fucking was such a fucking fan of Metallica. Like, you know everything about Metallica. Because you listened to it. It was oh, yeah. your jam in that was like, my junior jam. high. In mm, high school. Yeah, junior high. I was high real school. teeny boppy in middle school. And then all of a sudden I got real angry in high school. <laughs> Didn't we all? <laughs> Didn't we all, though? Because sorry, high parents. Makes you angry. So angry. What are these hormones? <laughs> Nothing's going to make me feel better except thrash metal. <laughs> and it's true. Thrash metal yeah. made me feel a lot better. Well, Nirvana and a very depressed Kurt Cobain made me feel better for some reason. Kids are weird. Yeah, kids are weird. We don't know our emotions. It's fine. It's fine. Well, these guys have been active since 1981. They have released 10 studio albums, four live albums, one cover album, five extended plays, 37 singles, and 39 music videos. You know who's comparable to that? Who? Mayhem. No, they're not. <laughs> I was like, wait, really? No. <laughs> I was like, I didn't think... I, they had, what, one real album, and it was mm. released after the lead singer got murdered, so... It was a great album cover, though. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> they have been... Mayhem's nom- album cover. Woof. 
<laughs> still talking Norwegian black metal, bitches. Uh, oh, it's it's still course. relevant. <laughs> and if you haven't gone to Spotify to listen to that playlist I made, oh. fucking listen to it because it's amazing. It is. It is a good fucking time, kids. It's real good. <laughs> So Metallica has been nominated for 23 Grammys, won nine of those, and the last six studio albums all debuted at number one. But they have also had their fair share of artistic missteps, made poor legal choices, and probably shouldn't have cut their hair when they did. They done fucked up a few times. They done fucked up a few times. There is a lot here to unpackage, though. This band has been active for nearly 40 fucking years. And I mean active. 40? Yeah, it's 81 and it's almost and it's 2018 oh, now. Fuck, Jesus. Yeah. So, and and they're not they don't sit for too long. So. I I forget how long ago the early 80s were. Mm, I'm old. We're old, it's fine. We're not old. Sorry, older listeners. We are young and spry and happy to be here. But I'm just going to get right into it. All right. Sit tight, kids. For this is the wild ride that is the story of Metallica. Oh my god, get out of here. Never. Get out of here. Never. <laughs> I live here. I do, though. So James Hetfield was born and raised in Downey, California, not far from L.A. He was the son of a truck driver and a light opera singer, both being devout Christian scientists. So Ooh. when... Yes. Yeah, from cancer, medical treatment was out of the question. Yeah. And she unfortunately passed away in 1979. So he was pretty young yeah. when she died. He was a teenager. But he used music as an outlet for his grief, obviously. It helped both of his parents, really encouraged his talents at a young age. At nine, he started piano lessons. And by 14, his brother helped him learn the drums. And later, he worked on guitar with a friend. So he was pretty well-versed, even. Yeah. It's not even that he just took some guitar. He's like, nah, man, I got all this shit. Yeah. I'm good to go. So he was trying to put together a band with like-minded individuals who wanted to play Iron Maiden, Diamond Head, Motorhead, all the heads. So, so... Devout Christian family, Christian yes. scientist family, yes. and he's super into metal. Well, when your religion makes it so that your mother can't get treatment, yeah, yeah. I'd walk away too. True. I mean, I walked away for lesser reasons, so. So he walked away when he was a, a teenager? Oh, yeah. Okay. Definitely. He Word. was He was over it. Word. Good for you, bro. Keep it up. So, James put an advertisement in the local L.A. newspaper called The Recycler, which I thought that was kind of cute. Nice. The Recycler. <laughs> I, just, I don't see musicians putting ads in that kind of magazine, but sure. It was the early 80s. So, when searching under the section labeled Heavy Metal, there was even a Heavy Metal section. Good for The Recycler. Right? They were up with the times. They, they knew what was up. But you'd only see two names, James and a drummer named Lars Ulrich. Nah. And it only made sense that they got together. Aww. So Lars was born in Denmark and is the son of a professional tennis player, Tor- Torben Ulrich. His career brought his family to the U.S. in 1980. So actually, Lars grew up for a good chunk of his childhood, all of his childhood, pretty much, in Denmark. Mm-hmm. You can, if you listen to him talk for a long time, like, you can hear the accent come out a little bit. Especially when he's mad. Yeah. It's really funny. <laughs> Even now, it's really funny. Like his father, Lars wanted to be a professional tennis player. However, once getting to the U.S., he discovered that his talents on the court were subpar in comparison to the competition. Oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah, but, you know, You would luckily, think that would be humbling to a young Lars Ulrich. Hmm. Spoiler. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Uh, arguably, that works in their favor. 
So luckily, Lars had already developed a love for music after seeing a Deep Purple concert in Copenhagen at age nine. Think about that sentence. Deep Purple concert, Copenhagen, age nine. Uh Already fucking living your best life. (laughs) He was fixated on the idea of playing music for himself. And when he was a preteen, his grandmother bought him a drum kit. So throwing aside his tennis racket wasn't too difficult with a passion for music to fall back on. Good for him. Figuring out your passion in life early. What is that like? I don't know. What is, I still don't know what passion <laughs> is. Except the story goes, Lars wasn't that awesome on drums initially. Aww. But he was baller at networking. So his friend Ron Quintana had his own metal fanzine and was working on a compilation album of the local LA metal scene. Lars asked if he could get a band together if they could be on it, and Ron said, well, yeah, of course. Hmm. So let's get a fucking band. At first, Metallica had a bit of a rotating door of guitarists and bassists. But after putting another ad in the recycler, they found a lead guitarist and a kid named Dave Mustaine. Yay, Dave. Dave. (laughs) He not only had the talent, but he also had the expensive guitar equipment. And the most beautiful hair you have ever seen. It's like fucking Rapunzel. This bro has to be like almost 60, and he still has a gorgeous head of hair. Mm -hmm. Like... If there's anything I'm going to give you, Dave Mustaine, it's your beautiful hair. I mean, it's his, it's his one true. That's, it's your, I'm, I'm, there's a, there's a term for that. I know. And I can't, there's like a movie quote I had it in my head and I couldn't, I can't I was going to say Achilles heel, but it's not that. He's just Samson. It's the opposite of his But he's Achilles Samson heel. if Samson never got his hair cut. Yeah. No, he's not. Oh no, he's not Samson at all. He's Rapunzel. Okay. <laughs> Going with it. All right. Dave was born in La Mesa, California, and like James, had very religious parents who were practicing Jehovah's Witnesses. Wow. Yes. This is like a smattering of like... The most hardcore the, Christianity the that you've ever seen. The most hardcore sects of Christianity ever. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what makes a good metal band. That is what makes a good Rebellion. metal band. Rebellion and religion. Yep. So before Metallica, Dave was in a band called Panic that came to a tragic end after their drummer and sound guy died in a car crash. Ooh, foreshadowing. Then in 81, as the band was just about falling apart, their rhythm guitarist died as well. Oh my god. So now knowing that, I think I understand why Dave went down the path he goes down. Yep. Poor kid, like raised in a strict Jehovah's Witness family, you join a band, all your band members die. That's... Yeah, that's a fucking lot. And he's, that would and he's, fuck you up. He's like late teens, early 20s at this point. So eh, that's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. Yeah. For a brief time, their friend Ron McGovney played bass. And it was with this lineup that they recorded Hit the Lights for the Metal Massacre compilation. What was funny is they spelled their name wrong instead of two M-E. T's. Yeah, two T's. Yeah. Yeah. Metallica. <laughs> After that, they began to work on demos, including power metal, with the live demo No Life to Leather. They were asked by the British band Saxton to open for them on a show in 82. So this must be a pretty impressive group to get noticed so quickly, right? You know, I I briefly scanned some Metallica history earlier today in... You know, half preparation. preparation. Yeah, for this, like, you, like <laughs> for we do, like we do. Hey, if it's not my week, I'm like, and oh. like the whole time I was reading the early, the early years of Metallica, I'm like, how the fuck did these guys get so popular so quick? Because at this point, 
they don't even have anything really recorded right. besides they that have a couple, one song. Yeah, they have a couple songs on some compilations. But we have to think, too, this is the early 80s and things were different. It was all about networking. It was all about meeting people. It was all about getting your shit out there. They got on compilations, which is good because those get passed around yeah. in the underground scene. And also, I guess they're in the L.A. area. Yeah, you're in L.A. And there mm. are always music scouts from record companies based in L.A. going to shows. And like, there's always bands playing shows. So they're going to meet you. Right. They're going to see you. They're going to hear you and be like, I like your I mean, shit. I guess it's the same way that Van Halen got recognized, too. But at the same time, Van Halen was playing, like, backyard parties for a few years before mm. anybody noticed them. But Metallica it's like really Metallica right off just bat. right off the fucking bat before yeah. they even really even played any shows. Like, yeah. the first show that they played, there was probably somebody there who was, like, signing them. A lot or of something them. like that. Yeah, they, they were in love with them. You know, this is a real Cinderella story. Right? What could go wrong? Nothing, right? Nothing. This is perfect. It's, it's uh, Everything's perfect. And this is where I tell you, in case you weren't aware, the revolving door of band members is an ever-present trope in the Metallica story. Yeah. Things may seem real good, but the winds of change blow hard in their general direction. Yeah, and usually it doesn't end well. Doesn't. So, buckle up. <laughs> McGovney had a hard time getting along with Lars and Dave. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wait. Wait. So you have James Hetfield. Right. Lars Ulrich. Yeah. And Dave Mustaine. Yeah. As presumably alcoholic teenagers. Yeah. All in a metal band together. Yeah. In LA. Yeah. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? All of them just totally get along perfectly fine, right? Mm. Like fucking... There were biffles. Yeah, biffles. Biffles. Well, at this point, Dave was a full-blown alcoholic. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's like, I'm pretty sure he probably came into the band with an alcohol problem. And it it only got worse being with Metallica. And, you know, he was always drunk. And on top of that, he even said he was not a good drunk. Oh, yeah. Um, There are stories of his dog scratching up Ron's car. And after James kicked it in anger, Dave attacked them both for it and yelled at Lars. So they kicked him out of the band for it. Would attack them, too, if they kicked my dog. Yeah, don't kick my dog. Don't fucking touch my dog. <sighs> Granted, they're all probably drunk. I'm not justifying it, but they are probably all drunk, stupid teenagers, and they don't right. know any better. Also, James, don't kick a fucking dog. I think he knows better now. When you're almost 60, you know better. He's a hunter, though. I don't know if he knows better. If you use the whole body, I don't give a shit if you're a hunter. And you don't kill endangered animals. And you actually right. you do use... something. And from what I've... Uh, jumping way ahead, but from what I've heard in interviews, he hunts... He actually tries to be as self-sustaining as possible. And, like, they use everything. Because, I mean, I fucking hate Ted Nugent. Right. With a burning passion deep inside my soul. Like most do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I imagine at this point. I hope. It's 2018. Um, Most people hate Ted Nugent now. But And he's a really big hunter. Mm -hmm. But he uses as far as I know... He uses it. Yeah. Like, all of it. And I think whatever he doesn't use, I think he just, he gives to, like, places that do or something. I don't know. But as far as I, I know, know, he uses what he kills. And that's, and that's the moral story here, kids. Fucking use what you kill. Yeah. I don't give a shit if you kill, but, like, use it and respect it. You could be the biggest dickwad piece of shit like Ted Nugent. <laughs> but I will still begrudgingly give you a smidgen of respect if you use the whole animal when you kill it. All right. 
Anyway. You heard it here first, people. Moving on. <laughs> Hot takes. <laughs> so Dave gets kicked out for a day. The next day he comes back, he apologizes, and they let him back in. But then there's another time Dave drunkenly poured beer down the neck and pickups of Ron's base. And Ron was super pissed, Why understandably. Because he was drunk and stupid. Dave. So Ron kicks everybody out of the house and soon after decided he can't take anymore and he quit the band. And he later said that he felt less like a respected member of the band and more like the guy with the money and the ride, which he probably was. Completely understandable. So one night, Lars and James went to a Hollywood nightclub called Whiskey A Go-Go to check out this band called Trauma, and they were blown away by the skills of their bassist. I feel like this is, like, time number three that we've mentioned the Whiskey A Go-Go in our podcast. Drink. Drink. <laughs> that's, that's, you're playing a long game with that one. This is a long con, but it's worth it. With them being in need of a new one, they had no problem asking if he would consider joining up with them. After a few months of courting, he said he would go with them because he felt like trauma was getting, quote, too commercial. Funny. Mm -hmm. But he also said that they need to leave L.A. and come with him to San Francisco, which the guy is happily obliged with because L.A. wasn't doing them any favors. And this was Cliff? Cliff and Burton. this was Cliff Burton! Yay! Yes! I like Cliff. Oh, God, we still... didn't we didn't get to know Cliff. No, we did not. But I like Cliff. I like Cliff. He was born in Castro Valley to Ray and Jan and was the youngest of three kids. His father introduced him to classical music at a young age and had him taking piano lessons. At the age of 13, he began to play bass after his brother had died. He said, quote, I'm going to be the best bassist for my brother and oh practiced up God. to six hours a day and even stuck to that throughout his professional career. Ugh. So, everybody except Lars right now had to deal with some pretty fucking horrible trauma. Yeah. Privilege so, Lars. Sorry, but I'm saying it. I'm Privilege Lars. I'm shaking my Lars. head back and forth like, <laughs> Lars. Lars. <laughs> Arguably, though, I do have to give him credit. Like, I mean, I, I don't think the band would get where they were without him. He did do a fucking baller job networking. He he had the connections, and the connections were extremely valuable. So he did play a very big part. As much as I mean, he arguably still him. is. He's yeah. just he is an easy target. Oh, absolutely. You know what? Saying it now, he's an easy target, guys. Absolutely. Alrighty. So there they were, a fully formed Metallica, and they were finally ready to record their debut album. And so in 1983, they traveled to New York to do just that with Megaforce Records, but. Moving across the country and trying to create an album is expensive and they were pretty much broke. Hmm. No money. So fortunately, Lars networked and made friends with a New Jersey record store owner and show promoter named John Zazula. He connected him with another up-and-coming band called Anthrax. Oh. Who had their own building in Jamaica, Queens called the Music Factory. So Metallica could rent out a room. And they basically lived and rehearsed in that room. Had Anthrax made a name for themselves at they this were, point? They were kind of in the same spot as Metallica. Okay. I believe they either had their first album or were making their first album. Okay. I'm not super knowledged in the Anthrax story. Yeah. So if you are, you can at me and let me know because I might be wrong. For some reason, I always associate anthrax and slayer together well yeah they're part of the big four yeah so that um, count that, that works and at that point slayer had already made a name for themselves i believe mm. so um i'm sure anthrax it was only a matter of time if they hadn't made a name yeah already so they were all they were all buds though you know yeah 
Dave's alcohol problems only getting even worse, believe it or not. And so I believe it. <laughs> they were breaking into even more violent fights than ever before, and the guys decided enough is enough. We can't do this anymore. So one April morning, Dave was woken up by Lars, James, and Cliff, told he was out of the band, to which he responded, what? No warning? No second chance? They took him to the Port Authority bus terminal and tossed him on a bus back to California. Granted, maybe not the best way to go about it. And they admit today, they're like, not the best way to go about it. Yeah. Everyone involved is like, could have done it better. But we do have to remember, they're 21, maybe, at this point. They don't know. How much of an asshole were you at 21? I wasn't an asshole at 21. Oh, I was was an asshole. (laughs) Uh, so just a final footnote for Dave. For those not in the know, Dave turned out about as okay as he could. He's, I mean, he's still... He's still he's, he's still, still going. made a huge name for himself. Yeah, he so. started, I think, if you don't know, he started the band Megadeth. That's yeah. his band. Who are hugely They are still popular, still successful. You know, they're... There are tons of fans who say, you know, fuck Metallica, Megadeth's better. They still have their own following. Mm-hmm. Uh, years down the road, Dave finally deals with his alcohol and drug problems. And by all accounts, he's clean now. And I think it took him a really long time. Yeah, I don't think it was... I almost want to say, like, the late 90s, 2000s. Yeah. I could be wrong, though. Again, at us if, if we're wrong. No, I um, think you're about right. It, it took him a really it long was a time. Very, yeah, it was not a fun road for him. Yeah. But getting kicked out of Metallica haunted him for decades. Oh, yeah. He, he did not let that oh, shit go. Oh, no. He accused Kirk of stealing his job, claimed he became popular out of playing Dave's guitar leads, and didn't give him credit on it. But he well, he does get credit for it. Which, he has... He got credit for all yes, of it. Yes, but he, he says like, "Oh, I didn't get any credit." Yeah, he says he didn't. I he he said he didn't. I'm I'm imagining now he might be singing a different tune. Um, and actually, he confronts Lars about his issues in the 2003 documentary "Some Kind of Monster." He was saying he always felt like he was in the shadow of his original band, and it was hard to watch them rise up. And he feels like, you know, he could have had that if they gave him another chance. Which I think is honestly kind of bullshit because. I think semi bullshit. Semi bullshit because, I mean, I grew up. I knew who Metallica was, and I liked Metallica. I wasn't a huge fan, but I also knew who Megadeth was. Right. I and, didn't. I knew one and the other. And to any person who's not a huge fan, you wouldn't even know that Dave had at one time been part of Metallica. Right. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't until, until the behind the music. Yeah. So and I was like, oh. I mean, he, look at that. he ended up making his own name for himself, and there was really no reason for him to feel like he was always in the shadow of Metallica. But at the same time, I can also understand that almost feeling of abandonment and look at what I could have had, though. Because right. Metallica, they comparing... were certainly much bigger yeah. than uh, Megadeth, Megadeth was. But at the same time, I think Megadeth has a different kind of influence on uh, metal fans and metal musicians. Because I don't think Megadeth ever really took the turns that Metallica does. Yeah, and I think Megadeth, in a way, kind of retains a lot more, maybe, respect than Metallica did for some of Metallica's oh, choices. Oh, definitely for, definitely for, a t- there was a, a long time where Megadeth was preferred to Metallica. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> this time around, the boys had a backup plan set in place for filling the spot. Before getting rid of Dave. For once. (laughs) 
Months before going to New York, they had seen a talented Bay Area band called Exodus. And they were really blown away by their guitarist, Kirk Hammett. No. Enter Kirk. Stage right. Stage right. Yeah, I actually would be stage right. <laughs> Kirk was born in San Francisco to a Filipino mother and an Irish-American father. He began learning guitar at the age of 15 from a love of the Zepp and Jimi Hendrix. He would eventually take guitar lessons from the one and only Joe Satriani, so it kind of explains why he's so friggin' awesome. What? Who is this Kirk guy? Or Kirk, excuse me. Friends with Les Claypool? Oh, I, yeah. That was a spoiler. Oh, sorry. I was going to talk about that. I'm sorry. No, I it's ruined fine. it. It's fine. Yes, surprise. Was, surprise. <laughs> yes. Um, childhood friends with Les Claypool. Oh, my God. Can someone please draw pictures of, like, oh, no. a young Kirk and a young Les Claypool just playing together? I just want to see a children. picture of the two of them. <laughs> so the same day they kicked Dave out of the band, they called Kirk, asked him to come to audition. He knew it was the smart choice to at least give it a shot. Best choice he ever made. Good, good job. So Kirk shows up. They shred some songs, starting with Seek and Destroy, where Kirk absolutely nails a solo. And they must not have offered them, him the gig officially, as Kirk once recounted that after recording the album Kill Em All, he figured he must be in the band. <laughs> so they were just like, all right, I again, guess we'll go record now. Again, the wrong way to approach things. They'll, they'll figure it out. A month after Kirk joined, they began recording the album Kill Em All. And had finished it within two weeks. Originally, they wanted to call it Metal Up Your Ass, but the label was afraid that distributors would not stock it. They came up with the name because upon hearing the news, Cliff apparently said, those record company fuckers, kill them all. <laughs> so that's fun. I, I don't understand how kill them all could be preferred over Metal Up Your Ass. Like, they were afraid that... You know, people were going to be offended. And also the but cover art that they wanted to use was a toilet with a with a hand holding a dagger sticking out of said toilet. What? So that if you sat in it, you'd have metal up your ass. Uh, so I can kind of understand. You why. know what? Somehow that's a dad joke. That is a total dad joke. That's the most metal of dad it's jokes. The most metal dad joke ever. Oh fuck! Oh, metal dad jokes are the best dad jokes. Oh shit! Which is kind of weird because they're all dads. And well, okay, sure, but I don't know <laughs> what I was gonna say was, uh, I always thought that uh, James Hetfield looked exactly like my dad. Oh, weird. He looked uh, when my dad was younger, and like. If James Hetfield, picture James Hetfield young, but with short hair, and then my dad young looked exactly like that. Oh, that's weird. It's very, very weird. Oh, man. I, you should show me a picture of your dad, because I, I need to see now. <laughs> I need to see pictures of your dad. I'm like the Jonah, Jam creep. I'm like the Jonah Jameson of this podcast. Show me pictures of Ashley's dad. <laughs> <laughs> that's creepy. You're right. All right. You win this round. <laughs> So, the album was released in 1983 and would eventually peak at 155 on the Billboard charts. You know, meh. Not bad. But it wasn't necessarily considered a financial success. They did become a big name in the underground scene. To support the album, they toured the U.S. and some of Europe. So, they, they got something out of it. 
That's pretty good. After, after the tour was over, James was feeling uneasy of his role as being the lead singer and rhythm guitarist. So they decided to try to recruit someone else as their vocalist and asked Armored Saint singer John Bush. But John turned them down as his band was doing well at the time. Mm-hmm. So James cowboyed up. Worked on his confidence, and it really paid off because it's made him a very strong vocalist. Yeah. Um, if you listen to their pre-Black Album albums and then listen to their albums after the Black Album, right. there is a very distinct, very distinct difference in James's vocal abilities. And oh, I th- yeah. he must have taken voice lessons or something. Because... Uh, there's a really big difference in listening to Kill 'Em All and uh, Ride the Lightning. Mm. He has a very pitchy, very scratchy, kind of squeaky voice. Yeah. And it's cute. Oh, yeah. But you can very much tell the progression of his voice throughout the years. And also, too, as you get older, your voice does get deeper. Yeah. And his definitely And also, matured. I mean, if your job is to be singing every night, or at least, like, even like 200 days out of the year, your voice is going to get better naturally. Yeah. Add some like professional grade vocal lessons on top of that. You're doing it. You're doing real good. You're doing it right. Doing That's how you do it. So in February of 1984, Metallica be- began recording their sophomore album, Ride the Lightning, in Copenhagen, Denmark. And I'd just like to take this moment to say that I'd like to think that they were probably working on this album at the time that I was born. Because I was born in February 24th of 1984. Mm -hmm. And they were probably recording. Because they were a few hours ahead of us and I was born in the morning. So I'm like, they were probably recording. No. They were making Ride the Lightning. Maybe I was riding the lightning (laughs) as a fetus. Out of your mom's vagina. Yes. (laughs) Most metal birth ever. (laughs) Did a little better than its predecessor. It reached 100 on the Billboard charts. I really like Ride the Lightning. Ride the Lightning's good. It's one of my favorite Metallica albums. I like it a lot. It's my I have my two favorites. It's Black Album and Master of Puppets are tied. Yeah, Master of Puppets is real good. Oh, I fucking love Master of Puppets. But I still think I would put Ride the Lightning slightly above Master of Puppets. That's fair. But also below the Black Album. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was around this time that they picked up the cute little nickname, Alcolica. <laughs> so cute. It's so cute. It's adorable. It's cute. They were not. Alcoholism is adorable. I don't know what you're talking about. Neither do I. Drink. <laughs> they were known not to dabble in drugs, really, like most rockers usually do. Yeah. They were strictly all about that booze. Namely, vodka and Jaeger, both of which would get them oh, blindly drunk, walking God. into walls, pulling their nuts out at restaurants, and at times getting aggressive. <laughs> But overall, most of them most of them were just a good time at a party. Apparently, one time, Ian Scott from Anthrax mm-hmm. and Cliff got arrested in England. For what? Just being drunk and disorderly. And then they're like, oh, you guys have drugs? And they're like, no. And they're like, fuck, we totally have drugs. But they never found them. Huh. So, good for them. <laughs> Maybe they were too distracted by Mick Fleetwood getting shit-faced. And like, oh, Mick Fleetwood's fucking drunk again. Uh, let these idiots go. Who cares? We gotta uh. go get Mick Fleetwood. <laughs> oh, Mick Fleetwood. So, <laughs> the band was progressively getting more notoriety as they toured and were showing up to larger and larger crowds, eventually hitting the Monsters of Rock Festival <sighs> alongside bands Bon Jovi and Rat. To a crowd of 70,000 people. 
Metallica's the best thing you're going to see at that concert, by the way. That's a show. That's a show. You're like, woof. Where's Metallica? Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) But their success was truly solidified with the release of their third album in 1986, Master of Puppets. Yes. It was the first to go gold and eventually went six times platinum. So, go fucking album. It's a good album. Just a good album. It is, though. It's a fucking great album. When I was growing up, when I was in high school, Black Album was my favorite. Mm-hmm. But then I got even older, and now I think Master Puppets is my favorite. Which is funny, because you could say that Black Album's a bit deeper than Master Puppets, and Master Puppets is kind of more angry. Maybe I'm just an angry adult. I don't know. Maybe. Eh. It, there's a lot to be angry about right now, so... Eh. It's really, it speaks to your soul. It does speak to my soul. Yeah. It does. It's also really good to drive to. (laughs) So in September of 86, Metallica was embarking on the European leg of their Damage Inc. tour. It was here in Sweden that they would have an experience that would have them forever changed. Their tour bus wasn't the fanciest, as it wasn't built for touring. The bunks themselves were bolted into the frame. So what was it made for? Was it, was it like a, like a shitty old greyhound bus? I think it was just bus? like a shitty old greyhound bus that they turned into a tour bus. Oh, so, okay. So they probably had windows along the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's not good. It's not. In the name of fairness, they decided to draw straws to get first dibs on where to sleep. One night, Cliff won and picked Kirk's bunk to sleep in. He told Cliff sheepishly, fine, I'll sleep up front. It's probably better anyway. <sighs> So in the early hours of the morning, everyone was awoken when the driver lost control of the bus and he was flipped several times. James, Lars, and Kirk came out with minimal injuries. However, they couldn't find Cliff. At one point, Kirk looked down to see the legs of his bassist and close friend underneath the bus. They tried to pull him out and wake him up, but there was no way that you were going to be able to get him out without a crane to lift the bus. That's That's how far under he was. It said that Cliff probably died immediately. However, when the crane was lifting up the bus, it slipped and fell back on him. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. It's it's just a horrifying moment in their lives. That's horrible to have to go through as a friend. And just, yeah, I mean, they were saying at this point, like, it's just, it's not just friends, your family, like, you're touring together. You're... Yeah. I remember watching uh, the Behind the Music about Metallica. Right. And they were talking about this. And I remember James, he just seemed so angry. Yeah. Like, he wanted to, and like... And Kirk was still really sad. Like, yeah. I Kirk think was even really to upset. this day, they're yeah. still... I mean, you don't forget something like that. Yeah. That's a horrible tragedy to have to go to. For anyone to have through. to deal with. But I feel like... I want to say James was just, like, railing against the bus driver. Oh, yeah. So James and Kirk were especially affected and they began to yell at the bus driver. Yeah. First, for trying to take Cliff's blanket out from underneath the bus. Which, fuck you, bus driver. He was said, Leave oh, I'm trying to give blanket. it to somebody and keep him warm. And James was like, don't you take that from him. Yeah. Which, good for you, James. Yeah. Well, also, James is kind of scary when he yells. So. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't fuck with James, no. ever. Um, And then afterwards, they started to accuse him of being drunk, demanding to know what happened. The bus driver said, oh, it was black ice. And James is like... Where the fuck is the black ice? He actually walked up and down, I think, like, a mile or two of the road to find yeah. it. Like, in his fucking underwear. And he's like, I don't see any black ice. There wouldn't have been any black ice. Because while it was cold, it wasn't cold enough. And if James is walking up and down the road in his underwear, 
It's obviously not that cold. Right. So odds are he just lost control of the bus, which it's it can happen. It if, wasn't a bus made for touring. It wasn't a bus made to hold what it was holding. He might have been going too fast on unfamiliar roads. Exactly. He lost control and, you know, no legal charges were brought to him at the end of it all. But at the same time, it's like... It sucks. It's a it's a horrible tragedy that probably could have been. I can't prevented. imagine that that bus driver felt good about it. You no, know? obviously not. Yeah, you know, and um, throughout my research, I discovered that they look to Cliff actually kind of almost as the leader of the band in a lot of ways. And musically, he was really, he was so talented. Yeah, he had been studying classical. He had been practicing probably more than any of the others. Not that I'm saying they weren't practicing, but he kept up a really diligent repertoire i feel like he was probably the most grounded yeah of the he band seems members. like it cliff just yeah it it's hard to think about what could have happened to metallica if cliff didn't die yeah it's it's a lot um so at this point metallica had a choice to make do they carry on after discussions they decided that cliff would be pissed at them if they gave up now so they decided to go ahead and hire a new bassist now i want to throw in the caveat of they did this immediately they didn't waste any time they didn't give themselves time to grieve they didn't give themselves time to really process what happened to them and you'll see throughout their entire career and you watch interviews now i think that's why it still affects them is they never really took the time to deal with it it probably still haunted them for a long time and that ends up building resentment yes. towards people. Yes. That ends up making whatever vices they have even worse. Yeah. So So moral of the story is if something shitty happens to you, give yourself some time. Take give the yourself time to some grieve. care. Take some time. Grieve. Deal with it. Gotta see somebody, gotta see somebody. If you it's gotta fine. cancel some shows, cancel some fine. shows. It's fine. Do what you gotta do. So as you can imagine these auditions were not easy. On anyone. The boys were drinking throughout the whole thing and short-tempered to boot. If they didn't like the look of you, they'd send you packing. Apparently there was a guy, he came out, he had fringe on his boot, and James said, next. Guy came from, like, the East Coast, I think. What? They weren't having it. (laughs) And I mean, I don't blame them. They didn't deal with their shit. Right. So So take it out on everybody else. Yeah. It's pretty much what you do. This even included Kirk's childhood friendless Claypool. Who auditioned. <laughs> what? Yeah. And if you watch the Behind the Music, he, they interview him for a hot second about it. He's like, he's playing and they look at him and say, you never really played this music before, have you? And he said, nah, but you want to jam on some Isley Brothers? They didn't laugh at the joke. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing at it. <laughs> oh, I love you, Les Claypool. Thank you. And Aww. actually, even Dave Ellefson from Megadeth was considered. So take a minute to imagine the timeline that they have Dave Ellefson. Dave Mustaine probably would have drunk himself to death. Oh, yeah. There's no way. Or, like, literally jumped off a cliff. There's no way. So thankfully they didn't do that. Yeah. (laughs) One talented dude made the cut. He was from Flotsam and Jetsam as the bassist. He's a big-time Metallica fan. And his name is Jason Newstead. Aww. I like Jason. I like Jason. Jason's a nice dude. I like Jason. So Jason grew up on a farm in Michigan and is is a self-professed pure Americana farm boy. But his family was musically talented too. 
His mother taught piano and his brother played trumpet. Jason began learning guitar at age nine, but by 14 had moved over to the bass. He joined Flotsam and Jetsam in the early days and was part of their first album that they released before he joined Metallica. And um, there's no trauma in his life to report of, unlike <laughs> half the other members of Metallica. <laughs> no. Oh, there's no trauma in Kirk's life either. Oh, true. He was friends with Les Claypool. <laughs> How could you have trauma? So, side note, Metallica actually had Cliff's parents be a part of the bassist picking process. Well, that's kind of nice. But also, I'm kind of picturing, picturing uh, well, Cliff's parents were Jehovah's Witnesses. No, that was no. Dave's. Who's, his parents his were parents fine. fine. Okay. <laughs> his parents were fine. Okay. His parents were fine. His parents were fine. I'm just picturing, like, two super normal, like... 40, 50 something parents oh, yeah. just sitting in with the other three guys from Metallica who are shit faced and hate everything. But like, if you watch behind the music, you do see Cliff's dad and he seems like just the nicest, most laid back yeah. dude. He's just like, um, you boys are so fun. Well, and his mother even says, you know, Metallica's my favorite band. Oh, she's just cute saying that. that. I don't she's know. She's a mom. She's a mom. Mom's gotta love their boys' bands. Becoming the new bassist for Metallica is uh, quite exciting for Jason. When Jason realizes that he's going to be subjected to some pretty brutal hazing for a pretty long time. <laughs> and you can watch all the interviews and everything about it. They all talk about it. And Jason says, they took their grief out on me. He knew what he was in for. He was just fucking happy to be there. Yeah, it, w- it was built in for him pretty much. Right. I mean, Jason was a fan in addition to being a talented bassist. Right. It's not like he just straddled on up and was like, oh, you guys need to have me. He was like, I'm fucking happy to be here. And that's kind of a dream come true. So you kind of take whatever they give you. Exactly. You know, stories include being tricked into eating giant balls of wasabi, uh, finding out that everyone was being told he's gay, uh, having the which whole- Which is an insult back then. Which back then is an insult. Now <laughs> okay. we don't do that. We don't do that in we 2018. We do that. Um, drinks for the whole bar being put on his tab. Like, they're like, all right, we're just going to do this because you're just letting us. And I was watching an interview with him, and he basically said, oh, everybody hypes up those, that hazing. It sucked, but it wasn't anything worse than regular hazing. Yeah. He's like, I wasn't bitter. I'm not bitter about it. It wasn't worse than regular hazing. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'll eat a giant ball of wasabi to play with Metallica. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he he basically was like, I I didn't. I think a lot. It didn't upset me as much as people thought it did. I think a lot of people would eat a giant ball of wasabi if it meant being in Metallica. I would, and I hate spicy. (laughs) And I'm not a good bassist. I hate spicy. I fucking hate you. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm gonna stop drinking now. I hate spicy too, so I get it. I hate spicy. I hate spicy. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I do. I do though. The critics and fans also had a level of hazing for Jason when and Justice for All came out in 1989. Many complained of its production value, notably the murky bass sound, stating that they were indiscernible. But overall, the album was definitely a success, and it reached number six on the Billboard charts. Oh, wow. Making it the first of theirs to get into the top ten. Huh. So, you know, getting better. Getting better. Gotta admit. 
So this was also the year that Metallica was nominated for the first Hard Rock slash Metal Grammy Award. And Ooh. the upset heard around the music industry oh, when yeah. it was given to Jethro Tull. I think this was maybe the first instance when people were like, hmm, maybe the Grammys get it wrong sometimes, hmm. i.e. all the time. Yeah, I don't watch award shows because I can't. They're just so irrelevant now. They they mean nothing. It, it's it's stupid. It's it's just an excuse for rich people to go sit around and jerk themselves off. Yeah. It's a joke. So now was the time that Metallica decided to get itself into the MTV world with a music video. Yes. And they do so for the single one. Yes. An anti-war song about a guy who goes off to war and gets all of his limbs blown off, can't see, can't talk, and is begging for God to kill him. Because shit gets real. This coincided perfectly with the movie Johnny Got His Gun. So they decided to buy the licensing for the movie outright and used it for the centerpiece of their video. The result is an unsettling and disturbing thesis on the true price that we pay for war. It's such a good video. Do you remember the first time you watched it? I don't remember the first time I watched it, but I remember watching it when i was a kid when it first came out because it was around the same time that um nirvana came out right when did this come out this is 89 so nirvana's like a year or two later but they would have been playing this on the rock show yeah yeah um yeah i'm bringing it back to the rock show shout out to vh1 rock show if you remember and this was before 120 minutes right Remember 120 Minutes on MTV? Uh, with, oh, what's his name? Matt Pinfield? No. Is that his name? Oh, Remember oh Matt he's Pin- the bald guy. Yeah, the short bald guy. Yeah, the short like, bald guy. Yeah, super music nerd. Yeah. Matt Pinfield was. Oh, I miss Matt Pinfield. Yeah. He's, mm. I miss 120 Minutes. I miss, like, shows like, when MTV and VH1 played music. Even though I don't have cable <laughs> and I probably wouldn't watch. Well, you know what? I'd watch it. Yeah. Make it an app on my Amazon Fire and we'll talk. But yeah. Um, I do remember seeing this video a lot when I was a kid and when I was sneaking on MTV. Ooh, naughty. <laughs> it's very effective. Oh, my God. It's a very effective video. I didn't see it until I was in high school and, again, no cable. And I remember watching it. It was late at night and I was like, I couldn't sleep because mm-hmm. I was really upset. This was, you know, I was in high school, so I'm hitting this point in my life where I'm understanding things a little bit better i'm understanding repercussions and just things like war Mm -hmm. and i watched the one video and i was like that's terrifying yeah he can't do anything especially the um overdubbing of the guy's yes oh and then you real then you instantly (gasps) realize what all of this shit is about what the song's about what the video is about why they have that video or that um, Movie. movie yeah um in the video and it's like this is horrifying and I understand everything now. <laughs> yeah, like this is back in the day when shit used to really affect me. I'm yeah. really desensitized now. Yeah. And on top of that, you have metal, yeah. which is very heavy and very affecting, especially when you're a teenager. Yeah. So and This is when I was starting to fall in love with Metallica and I was like, yeah, it's a super depressing mm. song, but also a really fucking good song. Oh, it's so good. It's, oh, it's so good. So fucking good. <laughs> So, after some time doing some monster touring, the Metallica 
has become well known for. If there's anything that you got to give Metallica credit for, they will fucking tour their nuts off. Yeah, and it really seems like they enjoy it. Yeah, it's not they love like playing live. They seem to come around every year or so. Every year, every two years, maybe three years. I guess whenever they put out, um, yeah, whatever, five years, whatever, whenever Words. they put out an album, yeah, they tour. They tour sometimes. They're doing, they're doing it less so because, you know, they're older. They have families. They got kids. Yeah. All that shit. But my point being, like, you're going to see them soon. The end of the year. In October. 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 I'm the one going and you know better and than I know, I know when um, I'm going. I, I don't feel so much pressure trying to go to that show because I know in a few years they're probably going to come back. Right. Or Whereas, are they? I think they are because I think they're they're just tour monsters. Girl, they just keep we live doing in a it. time where everybody's just dropping like flies. But not Metallica. They're in their sixties almost. They're younger than our parents. My parents. Oh, they are significantly younger than my parents. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is, I really feel like Metallica likes to tour. Oh, they love so it. So yeah, they will continue to tour for years to come. Yeah. Whereas. Next year, we're going to see Fleetwood Mac, oh. and I feel like this is the last tour Fleetwood Mac oh. is ever going to do. Most definitely. So I feel like we have to go. Oh, there's n- I'm not not seeing them. Yeah. So, I will double negative that shit. Yeah. So, whereas they're both bands are on that legendary level, mm-hmm. I feel like I... Metallica just likes to tour so much that they're always going to there's always going to be an opportunity to go see them whereas some band like Fleetwood Mac like they're this is one and done this is it they're done forever probably granted this is gonna be my third time seeing Metallica I've never seen them they do put on a fucking great show. I'm sure they do. I just I I don't want to spend. It's a lot of fucking dollars. It, it you know what? The last time I saw them in tw- 2008 I'm, wasn't this much. I'm poor. Me too. Because I'm going to see Metallica. It's Metallica or Fleetwood Mac, and I choose Fleetwood Mac. I don't blame you. I love Metallica, but I choose Fleetwood Mac. I'm just slowly paying. Especially off because it's fine. Lindsay Buckingham ain't in the band no more. That's, but that's another discussion for that's another, another day. discussion. <laughs> Alrighty. So Metallica gets their ass back into the grind. They're back into the studios. They're going to produce their next album. And it was here that they decided to step up their game and hire Bob Rock to help them create and produce their self-titled fifth album, which we also know as the Black Album. Mm. So, Bob has a pretty impressive producer's resume, working with groups like Motley Crue, Aerosmith, Bon Jovi, Cher, list goes on. He's kind of like the go-to guy for, like, the the hard rock metal album He really has become that guy, definitely. And Metallica really liked the work he did on Dr. Feelgood, and as Lars put it, quote, We felt that we still had our best record in us, and Bob Rock could help us make it. Dr. Which, Feel Good was a real good song. Dr. Feel Good's real good. And the Black Album's real good. Yeah. So, per usual, James and Lars were responsible for the majority of songwriting on this album, with little input from Kirk or Jason. Gotcha. Yeah, that's pretty much how they usually do it. But since this was Bob's first time working with the group, he wanted them to record differently, telling them to collaborate together instead of recording individually. So a lot of the recordings they would do together instead of just, or you do drums, you do bass, you so do this. So did that work? That. I mean, the Black Album's amazing, so I'm going to say yes, it worked. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. <laughs> it's 
stupid question. Did that work? Yeah, it's a black album. It worked. Oh, yeah, it worked. <laughs> so it was expected that working with Metallica would be easy and this album would go off without a hitch. Except, no, it, it wasn't It wasn't any of that. Yeah, no. that's a lie. No. So Bob shook up their familiar routine and it ended in many arguments over aspects of the album. And a $1 million bill at the end of it all. Which is a lot. That's a lot to make an album. I feel like that wasn't that long ago, but still at that point, that's a lot of money. Oh, no, that's a lot. I mean, you know, spoiler, they do make it back. Don't you worry. (laughs) And then some, I'm sure. In spades. So he found the whole experience so stressful that he swore never to work with them again. Liar. And three of the members, Lars, Jason, and Kirk, all end up getting divorced. However, some relationships were mended, as Bob would end up working with the boys on another three albums. <laughs> so yes, Liar is accurate. Liar. It's like uh, Valerie and the Princess Bride. Liar! Liar! <laughs> oh, but you know what? I love Bob Rock. Yeah, he's a good dude. And he has beautiful hair. He has, he's got some AJ Styles hair, but oh it's blonde. Oh my god, yes. Oh, right? It's so beautiful. AJ Styles has gorgeous hair. Pantene Pro-V commercial mm-hmm. up in this shit. What are you using? L'Oreal. Oh, God, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. But it was all worth it. The Black Album is the most successful album by Metallica to date. It debuted at number one, went certified platinum in two weeks. Critics found the lyrics to be introspective and genuine. And while the music was a little slower, many did still feel like this is the heaviest they ever sounded. And this album showed that they can still be metal, but are capable of versatility. Mm -hmm. And that's all accurate. You know, going back and listening to it recently, even though it was after their more thrasher albums, because I'm trying to listen to them all in sequential order. And I think this is the first time I've ever done that. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because, yeah, listening to this before Load, like, yeah, they're still a heavy metal band here. They still are hard. They still rock. Yeah, nothing else matters is soft, but it's... It's beautiful, so fuck off. Yeah. I think... <laughs> <laughs> but it's beautiful, so fuck you! Yeah. I mean, I think that metal in general um, gets kind of a bad rap for not being very introspective. Right. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of theatrics. Yeah. You know, every subgenre has some kind of theatrics when it comes to metal. Seriously. And because of that, I think it can be criticized for being disingenuous in yeah. a way. So it's albums like the Black Album that really show that metal can be a little deep. It can be introspective. And it can have some kind of message along with it. It doesn't always have to be fucking double bass and grinding guitars and, and all that bad shit. vocals and, and just angry. Screechy vocals and whatever. You can say something with it. Yeah. And you can make people feel a little bit of something. Yeah. No, I Black Album's... God, Black Album's really good. No, it is. Like, I'm like, please, Black Album's still fucking amazing. Black Album's still really good. Uh... Sad But True and Holier Than Thou are two of my favorite songs. Holier Than Thou is so good. It's so good. I also love Of Wolf and Man. Mm-hmm. That song's fucking rad. Oh, I get I get down to that shit. 
Oh, no, I just fuck this podcast. I'm gonna go listen to it. <laughs> but like holier than thou is one of those songs I could listen to it a million times, and every time it comes on, I'm still like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah like I you know, I love the lesser. I love the non singles on that album because I forgot how fucking good they yeah. are. Anyway, um, I would like to also throw this out there. Metallica got a lot of flack for documenting their shit for all to see in 2003. Some kind of monster. But they've been documenting their shit for long times before that. Didn't they make a, yes, a, some you, kind of movie? If you want to see the process of how the Black Album was made, go to YouTube, look up A Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica. It's not that different from <laughs> some kind of monster. Shit, different year. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I'm not going to fucking be like everybody else like oh showing your emotions on they they even did Who stuff cares? for load but they even did stuff for load and reload too so right i don't so care what, i don't care i kind of a... i kind of love watching it to be honest it's fun they just want something to fucking be crabby about exactly just fucking chill god so of course they go on tour after they release the album because that's what that's you what do you when do. you're metallica that's what that's you do when you're any it. band. But I mean, especially Metallica. <laughs> that's it. For a portion of it, they were headlining with Guns N' Roses, <laughs> which wasn't the most ideal of situations. It You just have to say Guns N' Roses, and it's never the ideal situation. <laughs> it's mostly due to Axel's reoccurring throat problems, which caused many cancellations. Oh, throat problems? Is that what they call it now? Puff, puff, glug, glug. I'm not just, yeah. you know, puffing down cigarettes and choking some alcohol. Yeah. Throat problems. That coke, I mean throat problem. Yeah. I bring this up because one night in Montreal, during Metallica's performance... There was an incident with the pyrotechnics and James accidentally walks into a 12-foot flame. I f- totally forgot that this happened. Completely forgot this <sighs> happened. But yeah. He fucking yeah. walks right into the flame. Everybody was thrown off. He sustains these horrible burns. He's got to go to the hospital because obviously he's burned. I would and, hope so. Yeah, right? It's not like he's dead. Or as they say Hoots. in Montreal, El Hospital is. <laughs> If you watch behind the music, that's how he says it, and it's hilarious. <laughs> it's not like he's dead who will practically cut his arm off and not Right, go to no, the this isn't for shows. This is for reals. This isn't Norway. <laughs> this is not Norway. Anyway, <laughs> obviously, terrifying thing just happened. Metallica can't keep playing. Right. So at this point, Guns N' Roses comes out, performs an amazing three hour set. And saves the day for all involved. The- oh, oh wait, no, I'm sorry, that didn't happen. That's not how that went at all. Uh, <laughs> what did happen is that Axel threw a hissy fit because the sound wasn't to his liking, and the crowd was Aww. extra rowdy because mm. what just fucking happened to Metallica? Axel Rose threw a hissy fit. He was very happy about what was going on. Meh. Meh. B. Axel's really upset me. So he tosses his mic, pulls the band off stage, goes back there. And of course, Lars, Kirk, and Jason are still there. And they kind of look at him like, dude. And the fuck? Axel's like, nah, my voice is bothering me. Puff, puff. So this causes a massive riot throughout the streets of Montreal. And uh, destruction reigns all night. Awesome. Good job. Good job, Axel Rose. It's like somebody just lost the fucking Super Bowl or some shit. But worse. But worse. Which is surprising. Because it's Canada. 
So as far as James's injuries go, he was still able to sing, no issues with that, and he would regain full use of his arms within several months, just a lot of terrible, absolutely painful physical therapy, but whatever, he's fine. Wow. And they were able to continue touring with the help of guitar tech John Marshall playing alongside while James sang. And apparently John Marshall helps a lot because James broke his wrist about 12 times while skateboarding. 12 is exaggerations, <laughs> but like... There are two times that I read about that he broke his wrist while skateboarding. I, yeah, I read that and I was like, uh, the first time he broke his wrist while skateboarding, I was like, really, James, you're skateboarding? Okay, whatever. Oi. And then like a few years later, James broke his wrist again while skateboarding. I'm like, did you not, not learn your lesson the first time? Nope. Guess not. Nope. I know, and, he, then, I know. and then he walks into a 12 foot like, flame I know you really want to master that fucking sweet <laughs> kickflip but maybe you can't do the kickflip guys I can do an ollie maybe you shouldn't ollie maybe you <laughs> maybe should you just should. give it up maybe you should just play fucking guitar and shut your mouth maybe except you when should you're just accept that you're a really good guitar player and just fucking stop skateboarding because clearly you suck at it TBH the fact that he can still play guitar after breaking his wrist that many times impressive and then Burning them to shit? Yeah. Impressive. You lucky piece of shit. You lucky piece Stop of shit. Stop skateboarding. I think, I think he did. God, I hope so. You're too old to skateboard, James. Skateboard. Skateboard. <laughs> You're too old to skateboard. Skateboard. <laughs> anyway. So after taking a well-earned break, they came back together in 95 to begin working on the next album, Load. Initially, they had enough material to create a double album. They actually came to the studio with like 30 songs double ready to fucking go. Double albums are never a good idea. So they didn't do it. Good. There you go. They're the one band in history that was like, was like you know what? We could do a double album, but mm. we're not gonna. Well, yeah. After, you know, deciding that despite this is tempting, I don't want to spend that much time in the studio. Yeah, no. And they wouldn't make their deadlines. So they were like, let's just put out the first one and... We'll put out what's polished. We'll put out what's ready to go. And we'll come back to the rest of them later. Solid plan. Because they, and um, some time away from the rest of them, maybe you don't like them so much. Right. Afterwards. And maybe a second album might not be a good idea. Well, they still did it. They still did it. Because Load was released in 96 and a year later, Reload is released in 97. And Reload has some good ones. I honestly couldn't tell you a single song off Memory of Memory Remains, Fuel. That was on Reload? Yeah. I thought that was on Load. Mm -mm. Okay, then I can't tell you a single song off of Load? Uh, fucking... Yeah, you can't either. Fuck, I just listened to it! God damn it, Hero of the Day? That was on there. I There's some other ones too. I don't remember that one. Fuck. This is not just my fucking prime listen to this. listening time. Outlaw Torn, I think. I don't know that Maybe one. that's on Reload. All right, I will throw it out there. It's it's really easy to get Load and Reload mixed up, but they both have good songs Clear, on them. I just did it, so... So did I, and I listened to them today. Which probably doesn't help. Yeah, that doesn't help. Mm, that that's, doesn't help. That's that a makes bad it worse. Sign. Well, they brought back their good buddy, producer Bob Rock, and this time went into a different direction for both albums. They dropped their Thrasher roots and traded them in for a mixing of sounds in southern country, blues, and alternative styles of rock. In addition, Lars and James brought Kirk and Jason into the creative process a little bit more than before, letting them have more say in what they get to play. So that's, that's nice. nice. <laughs> 
Load Boast being the band's longest album at 79 minutes, but honestly, their last three albums run anywhere from 74 to 77 minutes. So what's an extra two minutes? I don't know why everybody's like, "Mm, it's the longest. Except for the fact that it would have been longer, but apparently if you run past 80 minutes, CDs tend to have skipping problems, which I didn't know till researching this. 80 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Because when you would burn CDs, most of them would be, you would get 80 minutes worth of uh, time of music. After that, it wouldn't do it because then it would fuck up the CD. I did not know that. That's why never, were, never that's why knew you that. always got 80 minutes worth I was of, always uh, pissed. Time. I'm like, I could have more, <laughs> but I could have more. And then they made MP3 players and you're like, oh, I'm good. Yeah. We have, we do not have these problems anymore. <sighs> what a time to be alive. I know. Except when you would download the MP3, sometimes they would have those blips. Oh, yes. Remember the blips? I still have, I actually annoying. have a couple songs on my iTunes that still have the blips. Oh, um, I have plenty. Oh, okay. I feel a little plenty bit better now. Plenty. Like, I'm have such blips. a fucking scrub. So the cover artwork for both albums is done by Andres Serrano. I don't know how to say it, but I think it sounds fancy, fancy that way. Andres Serrano. <laughs> They're a bit more. Antonio Banderas. <laughs> he's, he's friends with Antonio Banderas. <laughs> he's not friends with Antonio no. Banderas. Or maybe he is. I don't know. I have no idea. He's he's a very... Also, also friends with Inigo Montoya. Yes, that is true. That's true. That's fact. He is, he is a pretty daring artist. These covers are a bit more daring. As load features blood and semen mixed together pressed between two sheets of plexiglass. And I'd like to tell you a funny Maggie anecdote right now. <laughs> So as I've said, got into Metallica in high school, Mm -hmm. and I watched the Behind the Music when I was probably about like 15, Mm -hmm. I would say. Yep. And they talk about this album coming out and Mm -hmm. how it's so different from everything else that they do. And Jason's saying, oh, you know, you got this album coming out, these guys with, you know, smoking Cuban cigars and suits on the back and, you know, semen on the front. And a 15-year-old Maggie said, semen? I don't see any sailors. Where's the boat? <laughs> I am not shitting you. Maggie missed the boat on this one. <laughs> that was good. That's a good one. You're welcome. Oh my god. I'm gonna have to take a lot of screech laughter. It's fine. And scene. And, you know what? And we're done. That was Rock Candy. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but it took me a good two or three years till i was looking at it and thinking about it and i was like semen oh like jizz not semen like <laughs> men at sea <laughs> i hand to satan truly am the dumbest person alive you were 15 You're how did welcome. you know i don't know i took health class <laughs> I was in health class at a time. Yeah, I just really didn't understand. I but thought you know it... what? They didn't talk about that shit in health class. They talked about the different parts of the genitalia. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember. They weren't telling you about the jizz and how it gets there. Honestly, the only thing I remember about health class is watching Tuesdays with Maury and being severely depressed. Watching it? Yeah. Was it a movie? Yeah. With oh, who's the say anything guy? Oh, uh, John Cusack. That's it. That's the one. Yeah, he was in it. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Real fucking depressing. We did the sex and drugs unit after the death and dying unit. Because I had a smart health teacher. 
Um, I read Tuesdays in, with Maury in and my Tuesdays in Maury. Tuesdays in <laughs> <laughs> completely different book. <laughs> There's gotta be a porn out there that's called Tuesdays in Maury. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds so gross. It's about an old guy. Come on. <laughs> an old guy with cancer. The only cure is my dick. Oh. That's what the porno's about, oh. I imagine. I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> anyway, so. <laughs> that's where the well, jizz comes in. We, that's where the jizz comes in. We've come full circle. And by the way, we've come. You're welcome. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to sound on fucking audio. We're sorry. Yeah, we're snorting a lot this time. (laughs) (laughs) So Reload, being its sister album, had to match, though. And the cover image of that is blood and piss. Okay. Mixed together. Anything that comes out of a dick, I guess. Yep. (laughs) Dick, Dick covers. So the back of the album, like I said before, features the guys with their hair slicked back, dressed in suits, smoking Cuban cigars. With short hair. Short. We'll get there. We'll get there. So much of this new aesthetic was derived from Lars and Kirk's newfound love for art through this. They wanted to express themselves and shock the masses. And overall, James thought it was a dumb piss take and didn't think they needed to do any of this alter ego photo shoot bullshit. Because he's James and that's what he does. Yeah, arguably That's like his it is. attitude about everything. Yeah, he used to play the music and be Metallica. He said he nixed over half the photos that were taken because he hated them. There's like pictures of them doing 70s glam rock and shit and he just hated it. I would hate that too. So I agree with James. He especially hated the cover art of which he said, quote, I hated it, but it had to match. It's matching hatred. I'm not a big fan of the man and his perversions. There's art and then there's just sick motherfuckers. And he's one of them. The thing is, they belong together. I don't care if the guy blows donkeys they had to match. I put that in there because I thought the guy blows donkeys was hilarious. <laughs> Sometimes I just don't get James Hetfield, sir. I think it's like he wants to just be a regular dude. And he got thrown into this band. And he's like, well, sometimes I can't be a regular dude. But he didn't get thrown into this band. He he helped do this. Yeah, but you can... I mean, I would argue late teens, early 20s, you didn't know this was going to happen. Did they not? I mean, who knows what's going to happen with this podcast, Ashley? Nothing. Maybe we'll be Metallica. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. But we're having a good time. <laughs> it's a great time. That's all that matters. Maybe we have some fans. We got some fans. Shout out to our some fans. Hey. <laughs> Hey, fans. Hey, guys. Hey, fan. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) The music itself was received to mixed reviews. Many felt that Metallica went soft and were disappointed to hear less of the fast thrashing sound that they have so come to love and expect from them. Many also felt, though, that it was a rather daring experiment that they managed to pull off, even though it was completely different. Yes, this is a completely different sound, especially coming to listening to it now today. They went from metal to heavy to hard rock. I, I am going to say th- yeah. these are hard rock albums. Yeah. These are not metal. These are hard rock. Oh, no. Um, this is like Godsmack, Five Finger uh, Death Punch uh, level. Oh, I'm not saying that's a bad oh, thing. Oh. This, these albums, these albums have their fair... I would say out of all the albums, these two have their fair share of songs that I can skip through and be like, yeah, I don't really need 
Yeah. But they also have their fair share of songs that I love. I love Fuel. I love The Memory mm-hmm. Remains. I love mm-hmm. Hero of the Day. Like, there's plenty of songs on these albums that I do fucking love. I think um, they are pretty good hard rock albums. Um, but I don't think a lot of their fans were ready for or no. anticipating no. A, a slightly softer sound yeah. than their previous albums. A lot of country, a lot of blues. Yeah. Which, and, and also listening to it with a more adult and more objective ear, it is good. Yeah. They do it well. Yeah. They're not bad at it but i think a lot of the negative reactions to it were people that were felt like they were kind of blindsided yes by the new sound like they were expecting another black album or something like that right. but people change people grow right. people have different influences I throughout mean, their lives so of it, course it's going to be different right and these songs are very different too you know jams yeah. actually lyrically hits up different topics from aging to homelessness to he addresses his mother's battle with cancer in this. There's a lot of more mature themes. Not that I'm saying what they were talking. I mean, obviously one is a very mature theme. It's just different. It's almost more introspective and less angry. Yeah. And of course they're going to go a more mainstream route. Right. They're adults at this now. Point. They're more popular than they have ever been. Yeah. Um, the black album forget it they skyrocketed after that so of course they're going to be going in a different direction yeah i just don't think their fans really knew how quote unquote extreme of a different direction they were gonna go right because it doesn't help that the thing everyone was most like Uh. what about was the fact that metallica debuts this brand new look they had short hair they were really groomed. They mm-hmm. had like fancy little goatees, guyliner. They weren't ready for guyliner. Mm-hmm. They immediately, the fans shouted sellout and they wrote the albums off as complete garbage, refused to listen to them. But let me just say really quick, because I watched the making of Load as well. Mm-hmm. James had a terrible mullet. I'm so glad he cut his hair. Oh, he had a poodle mullet for sure. It was the worst mullet I've ever seen in my life. It was really bad. And we live in upstate New York. We've seen some bad mullets. (laughs) We've seen some rat tails. You would not believe. You would not believe. So yes, this was a fucking awful mullet. You bitched about them cutting their hair. James arguably needed to. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think out of all of them, the first one to cut their hair was Jason, who was probably the most grounded and down to earth. I feel like most people see and him honestly, as. honestly, Lars did not look good with that haircut. He had this weird He's getting the receding. Thing. Well, he's also getting a receding mm-hmm. hairline. And when you get a receding hairline, you know what you don't look good with? Yeah. Long hair. Yes. Guys, that's exactly. why they cut their hair. You And, and maybe, like, only two of them should have cut their hair for the for load. There, and maybe, like, the other two for reload. There are a few wrestlers on the WWE that can learn a few things from this. Just saying. Maybe y'all should cut your hair. Just saying. Just saying. And, and I think it's it's stupid. If you hate Load and Reload because they cut their hair, fuck you. That's stupid. If the reason that you are so pissed off at Metallica is because they cut their hair. Well, just wait for the second episode. There's more reasons to be mad. <laughs> I mean, up until this point. Yes. No, I know what you mean. If you are so superficial that you won't give their album a fair chance because they cut their fucking hair. Right. Come I mean, they've on. all commented on how fans would come up to them nowadays and say, I'm sorry I didn't give Load or Reload a chance because I saw that you had short hair and didn't want to listen to it. 
Yeah. If that's really what you for, think, then grow the fuck out. For people who are all about the music, if your hang-up is their fucking haircut, then you're not really a fan. Bitches get to cut their hair. It's fine. It's fine. Stop it. <laughs> get over yourself. Jesus. So 1998 rolls around and Metallica releases Garage Inc. It's a two-disc set of covers recorded by the band throughout the years. It includes songs by Diamond Head, Thin Lizzy, Queen, Motorhead, Bob Seger, fucking on and on and on. So many. And Whiskey in a Jar. And Whiskey in a Jar, which they finally won a Grammy for. Whiskey in the jar <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All these bands really highly influential to them. And it also includes tracks from their 1987 album, 598 EP, Garage Days Re-Revisited, which at the time had gone out of print. So it was nice to kind of toss that on there for them. Oh, nice. For the fans. Who and hate them because they cut their hair. Fucking right. <laughs> so they decided that since they worked on three pretty serious albums that they wanted to do something fun with an easier process. Overall, it was received positively. And many were hoping that this meant a return to their original thrash metal sounds. We'll Hmm. get to that next week. In 1999, Metallica recorded two performances with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra with Michael Kamen at the helm. Kamen had worked with Bob Rock on Nothing Else Matters and had been approaching the band for a while about collaborating on a live show. However, he was not the only one who would have wanted this crossover. Cliff also wanted to combine their sound with the symphony since the beginning days. So in this way, this is kind of a sweet tribute to Cliff. Hmm. Cliff was highly raised on classical, and for him, being able to perform with the symphony would have been his fucking dream. Interestingly enough, side note, um, my best friend in college, her father worked for the Musicians Union. Oh. And he negotiated all of the contracts for the uh, symphony musicians at the Metallica and the uh, symphony thing. What was it called? S&M. Yeah. Is this what we're talking about? Yeah. Okay. No, I'm just... (laughs) You're just staring at me like, Well, because I'm like, wait, did he get to see it? Oh, probably. I don't know. But he (gasps) negotiated all of the contracts between the, um, the symphony musicians and Metallica. Oh, my God. And the Union and everything so to make sure that they got paid. And there was some shit. Oh, I'm sure there was some shit. There was some shit. What was the shit? I'm pretty sure Metallica didn't want to pay them. Wait, what? Yeah. There was something. I don't know the details. I, oh, okay. I really don't know. I mean, but... you're hearing this like third hand, third hand. There's probably yeah. something, but who knows the real detail on it. Yeah, there was um some bullshit. I don't think it got to a point where anybody was suing anybody, but the... The Philharmonic or Symphony, whatever the fuck they're called. Um, they were like, you're going to fucking pay us? Like, we're a union. Yeah, you, you have to pay us. You union. have to pay us. Well, and then it's like, is it Metallica or is it the management or is it the record label? Yeah, and, and it's like, who knows who's it, controlling what? It Because I do... have a hard time believing that the guys in Metallica would be They're not about personally that. responsible for... Yeah, but um, the label could have been bitchy about it. Yeah, it was something with the label. Um, I feel like Metallica had something to do with it, but I don't really remember. But Wow. Yeah, so interesting side note. Hmm. Yeah. Well, record labels are garbage, so. Yeah. I'm going to throw it in their court. And musicians that have that are part of the union, I mean, they, they deserve to get paid. Right. Um, but people give them shit about it so much. So much. your union, fuck you. You're like, but they're union, so give them their money. Yeah. 
Thanks, bye. Yeah. So, yes, the result is the S&M album. It's a two-disc. Well, I guess it's not two-disc anymore. People don't have discs anymore. People don't have CDs. What's a CD? But the point is, it's, um, you know. It's really long. It's, it's so good, though. <laughs> I don't give a shit how long it is. They d- mostly did arrangements of songs picked from their current catalog. However, they did create two new songs for it, No Leaf Clover and Minus Human. And I'm going to end this episode on S&M. Because it's been, a, it's, we've been talking about a lot, and I'm not even gonna start to dive into the next. I'm just gonna talk about how much I fucking love SM. <laughs> I fucking, like, that was my nail in the coffin love for Metallica. Mm-hmm. Because if you love metal and hate classical, or if you love classical and hate metal, I don't understand you. Metal and classical go fucking hand in hand. Yeah. They you... follow a lot of the same chord progressions, a lot of the same riffs. It's very similar. The comp- the complexities of the music. If you don't fucking like one, but you like the other, you're stupid. Colin, kind of, come for me. This yeah. is my come for me moment. Well, it's kind of like um, you can't really um, you can't really appreciate metal really if you don't appreciate classical guitar. Yeah, because uh, both of them are extremely intricate. They're very similar. Um, you have to have extremely adept uh, ability for finger work. And it's it's fast. It's complicated. It's It takes a lot of talent to yeah. be able to do either one. And I think about the guitar solos in metal music. They're amazing. You have to be able to just pick and pluck and find these strings. And you can't just fucking strum it through. And classical music has that complexity. You know, and they also have that counter counter melody to the harmonies yeah you know one one part playing one thing and the other part playing something completely different for, metal and classical both do that for both of them it's it's very much like patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same yes. time times about 50 because you're doing two completely different things with two different hands and you have to be able to com- to ha- do both of them at the same time so they make something comprehensible and that's very difficult to do right. in you, both cases. You need a high level of talent and you need to understand just these cross harmonies and these melodies that happen. And just composition in general. Yeah, you can't be a fucking scrub coming up on either of those things. Because <laughs> yeah, you will make yourself a scrub. Yeah. You want to be a scrub? Then then fucking come up into <laughs> classical music and or metal music and not know what you're fucking doing. Yeah. Then you look like a fucking scrub. And at the same time, they they mesh together really well. They do. S&M is so fucking good. It made me really like a lot of the songs off of Load and Reload without knowing that I liked mm-hmm. them. And I think that's why it's... You, you hear a lot of metal bands or, well, just people... Just classical musicians in general doing a lot of metal covers. You're talking about Apocalyptica? I'm, t- I'm getting into <laughs> Apocalyptica. Because it's, to be honest, Apocalyptica is pretty cheesy as far as uh, a metal band goes, if you can really even call them metal. Uh, yeah. um, but they started out doing cello covers Metallica. of Metallica songs. Hence and they were really g- Get it? You get it? Do you get it? Um, <laughs> but they, they were really good. No, they are very good. Because Metallica songs can relatively easily be 
translated into classical and still sound fucking amazing. Seriously. So, and granted, Apocalyptica turned into something really fucking cheesy, but their Metallica covers still hold a pretty good place in my heart because they're really, really good. I think Apocalyptica is really good when you're listening to it in your headphones. Yeah. Maybe not live. Well, I saw, uh, Mike and I saw them a couple years ago and um, they were good live. Oh, I'm sure they were. And they put on a good show. However, However, they were cheesy as fuck. So cheesy. Like, they were like the fucking Swedish metal boy band. It's so... Such a weird statement, uh, Swedish metal right? boy band. But I mean, one of them came out wearing a mesh shirt. Ooh, that's like hot. A, like a fishnet shirt. Yeah. And then made a show of taking it mm. off. Oh, I'm like, slower. <laughs> like, dude, you're shredding a cello right now. Just calm that's your tits, amazing. man. Calm your tits. You know, he's letting the tits also, out. Also, I don't want to see the tits. Well, you're seeing them. It's just a scrawny, scrawny little white boy with long hair, isn't he? Thanks for the guy liner. It's nice. Guy liner's fine. It's fine. But yeah, I think uh, moral but, of the story is fucking listen to s and It's so fucking yeah. good. And if you don't like it, come for me. I will attack you in the face. <laughs> like a fucking she opossum. your eyes out like a tornado. Hair, teeth, and fingernails. So I am. And if a... you get that reference, I love you. So I am a possum. That's <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah, you're a possum. Yes. Also, Will Garbage Ferrell gang. as Harry Carey. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh god! All right, I think that's a great. I think that's a great place to put a bow on it for now. Nice yes. little black metal bow. There is more to the Metallica story, so you're gonna have to tune in for next week or whenever you're listening the next episode. Uh, At some point, cause this you'll shit, catch up to it. Cause, cause guess what, guys? The shit, it gets crazier somehow. It gets crazier. We haven't even touched on some kind of monster yet. Oh my god. If you want to do your homework before the next episode, go on Netflix and look up some kind of monster. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So when we spend 20 minutes talking about it, you're gonna know what's up. And then when I start posting all of the memes that I've made oh, afterwards. get ready for the memes. They are <laughs> happening. So many memes. Oh, so good, though. And I'm so, so proud good. of them. And you know what? I am going to make up a nice Metallica Spotify playlist for you kids. So tune into our Rock Candy Spotify. And, uh, you know, look that up. Because that's some good shit. I'm, it is. I'm, I'm going to say it is anyway. I think we make some pretty good uh, I think we make some pretty good Spotify. playlists yeah there is you that go. The, we've been drinking it's been a <laughs> night Alrighty, so let's close it up now uh thank you so much for listening you know what without you listening to us supporting us liking us all the jazz we wouldn't be where we are and we appreciate you so thank you we Keep surpassed a thousand downloads which is pretty fucking amazing fucking, like yeah i'm super happy about that so fucking Thank we, you. Yeah, we like don't. We're just under twenty episodes, or this is our twenty. This is our nineteenth episode. This is our nineteenth episode. So look at that. Uh, just surpassed a thousand downloads. Yeah, I think like it's pretty I good. I feel good. I feel good about that. And like you know, like Metallica, we'll just get better with every episode, and they got better with every album. Um. Yep. Sticking with it. <laughs> it's true for this episode. I'll right? take it. We'll take oh. it. I'll still take it. Yep. We'll take it. I don't care. (laughs) 
Follow us on the social media things. We are on the Facebook and Instagram at Rock Candy Podcast. On the Twitter at Rock Candy Pod. Our website's www.rockcandypodcast.com. Please feel free to rate and review us on iTunes. You know, Seriously. Your rating and reviewing really helps us. It gets us more exposure. It gets us out there. So even if you just give us some stars and say like, yo, cool pod, or hey, maybe you should cover this topic, or you know what, Maggie? Shut up. Or hey, get your fucking shit straight. That's fine. I'm fine with that. But like, you know, let us know what you think. Let us know how you feel. Feelings are real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to close it up. So party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye.